nastiness. Um, so gross. Uh, so how about this is a really good one. <laughs> this says a lot about you, how you answer this, or if you've ever asked it. Number five is what is twerking? <laughs> so twerking is this. It's when you, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, don't you wish. Number six, moving on very quickly. Listen, I went to Central Gwinnett right down the road. I know, I know how to move, okay? It's fine. Totally okay. But number six is, what is a 401k? How many of you have no idea what an actual 401k is? Can we just be honest for a second? How many of you know what a 401k is? Okay. How many of you think you know what a 401k is because it has to do something with your retirement and money and that's all you really know? <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Exactly. Okay. Good. So we're still asking that one. This is a question that came out, again, this is from a year and a half ago. Number seven, what is the Great Gatsby all about? Uh, I, I don't, listen, I was an English major. I can't tell you. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, I don't know. Um, number eight, what is a hashtag? I, does anyone not know what a hashtag is? Any, would any brave soul be willing to say, I don't know what that, you don't know, you really don't know what hashtag, like, we, okay, that just happened. Um, it's, it's, it's a pound sign that you put on the internet to say like, hey, look at this, or I have a really witty, I can't even, it's a hashtag, okay? I don't, I don't know what a hashtag is. It's a hashtag. Make, make up a hashtag, fine. Hashtag. There, I made one up. Um, now, number nine, this is a fun one. What is a narcissist? Does anyone not know what a narcissist is? Okay, this is the definition of a narcissist. Okay? Narcissist. And if I could just take one little small tiny jab, if your Instagram is more filled with selfies than any other picture, you might have a problem with this, okay? Let's just call it what it is. Narcissism is when it's all about you. Boo-boo. Doesn't have to be. And number 10, and this, this is going to be telling as well. Number 10 is how to tie a tie. Do any guys in here not know how to tie a tie? You like for real? All right. It's called YouTube. Put it in there. Educate yourself. All right. How to tie a tie. Be a man. Now, listen, these are the top 10 questions that millennials are asking. And from all of the, the chatter happening, I would imagine that this is pretty accurate. And that the whole idea of asking questions and having the internet and being able to say, I don't know what that is. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to break my phone and put it back together. And then after that, I'm going to go and I'm going to search. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, that's what a hashtag is. It takes five seconds. We live in an age where you can find the answers to anything at any time. But what I want you to start to understand is sometimes there are things that aren't just a quick search. Sometimes it takes research. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it takes you digging in to figure out what is the actual answer to this question that I have. It's not always as easy as what is Kim Kardashian's birthday? And who freaking cares, first off? But sometimes it goes a little deeper. Does God really exist? When was the earth actually created? All these huge, big questions might take time for you to understand. And when it comes to your faith and when it comes to God, there are questions that you will have. If you choose to follow Jesus, undoubtedly, you will begin to have questions about your faith, about what it means to actually follow Jesus, about what it means to actually believe in God. 
And when you do that, you need to figure out how to answer those questions, how to ask those questions, and then how to defend your faith. It's a term called apologetics. Apologetics is literally being able to defend your faith in layman's terms. And so what we want to dive into in this series is how to have this sound apologetics. How to go and whenever someone asks you a question about your faith, that you can defend it, that you can answer it. And even if you're saying, I don't know. Listen, that takes a lot more maturity and wisdom to say, I don't know about a question than to try to rally off some answer that has no biblical boundary, okay? But you need to understand how to have sound apologetics and how to answer a question in the right way. Otherwise, you may get asked a question and you may answer it and end up sounding like this. Take a look. Polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps, and uh, I believe that our ed education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere, like such the as the Iraq. I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S., or should help South Africa, and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries, so we will be able to build up our future. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, like, don't clap, do not clap for that. For, like, it has been, that was eight years ago, and everyone is still trying to figure out what the heck she just talked about, okay? For the Iraq and the South Africa. She asked you about the U.S. and a map. I don't, like, whew, okay. Now, if someone asks you a question and you don't know how to answer it, you can rally off stuff like that and look like a complete idiot and do a lot more harm than good. Bless that girl's heart. She did not win Miss America, Okay. And see, what I want you to start to understand is that, yes, you need to be able to answer questions, but there's a process of both questions and answers that are very important. And then what I really want you to walk away with tonight is the understanding of asking God questions is a good thing. It is a good practice. You should be asking questions to God. You should be asking questions about your faith. You should be diving into the things that leave you confused, where you're like, I don't really know how this makes sense. You should be asking those questions, not holding back. Here's what you need to hear. The fact that you have questions about your faith and about Jesus and about God and about the existence of God or anything having to do with religion or Christianity or worship or what in the world you're doing here, if you have those questions, there's not something wrong with you. Nothing is wrong with you if you have those questions. In fact, there is something completely good with that. There's something right with you. You should have questions. You should walk away from here every Thursday night and think, I wonder if he's really right. What, did he just lie to me the entire time? Did he literally just take 30 minutes of my life and lie to me? You should ask those questions. You should figure it out on your own. Because the moment you start asking those questions, something happens in your life. Something happens in your faith. No longer does it become the cultural norm of what you believe. And no longer does it become your parents' faith. This is how you start to develop your own faith. Ask questions. 
And when you do this, you'll see that there is something intrinsic inside of you that God has designed for you to do this. That he desires for you to ask questions. That asking questions of God is a good practice to have. I know this because we see it consistently in the scriptures. So what I want you to do is turn with me to John chapter 4. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 4. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. The fourth chapter of the fourth book. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath your seat. It looks just like this. And if you didn't come in here with a Bible and you don't own one, write your name in this and take it home with you. You are not stealing the Bible, okay? We're giving it to you. Take this, soak in it, ask questions and find answers because most of them are going to be found in here. And I want you to turn to John chapter 4. And as you turn to John chapter 4, what you're going to see in this, in this story is that Jesus is in the middle of his ministry come John chapter 4. The disciples are with him. He's called them out to be fishers of men. And in doing so, he starts to do ministry and tell people who he is and tell people about the good news. And so let's pick up in John chapter 4. If you're in here and you need some help, first there's a table of contents. Okay, there is zero shame in having to use a table of content in the Bible. Go there if you need it. But if you want to cheat, like me, uh, I'll give you page 1065, John chapter 4. And we are going to start in verse 3. I'm going to read. You follow along. John 4, verse 3. So he left Judea, Jesus did, and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar. I hope that's how it's pronounced. And this was near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Turn the page. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, a Samaritan woman, he's in Samaria, a Samaritan woman came to draw water from the well. Jesus said to her, well, hey, will you give me a drink? Just a kind of, hey, can you give me a drink, please? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food, so he was alone. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, hang on, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with Samaritans. But Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, like, you got to think she's losing her mind right now. You're not like, okay, but there's still a well and you don't have anything to get it with. I don't understand. Sir, um, give, me, give me this water so that I can, won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Um, I don't know what you're talking about with the living water thing, but I want it. So go ahead and give it to me. Go ahead, right now. I'll take it. And he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are clearly a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. 
And Samaritans couldn't associate with Jews in Jerusalem. It's like a caste system. Jews were not allowed to associate with Samaritans. So if, the, if what she's saying is, if so, if we're supposed to go worship in Jerusalem, then how can I do this? I don't understand what's going on. Woman, Jesus replied, verse 21, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's an educated Samaritan. But she totally missed the point. Because Jesus, in verse 26, says, Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, what just happened in this little interaction is that Jesus stepped into a conversation with a Samaritan woman. First off, this should have never happened in terms of the culture. In terms of the culture back in that day, Jews never went and talked to Samaritans. They didn't associate themselves with them. And they certainly didn't share anything that they would eat or drink with. So for Jesus to ask the Samaritan woman for a cup to drink water out of was completely out of bounds. And yet he does it. And because he does this, she starts to ask questions like, what's this? Wait, hang on, living water? Okay, well, how are you even going to get water because you don't have a cup? She starts to ask Jesus questions. And what does Jesus do? He starts to give her answers. And see, what Jesus desires to do is to hear her questions so he can give her answers. God doesn't want her to have questions and then never answer them. And so the first thing that you need to see from this story, from this Samaritan woman, the first thing we can learn is that when you ask God questions, he will give you answers. <laughs> it's the simplest thing in the world. It's the first point on your bulletin if you want to follow along. Ask God questions, he will give you answers. Ask God questions, he will give you answers. Now this may not seem like the deepest truth that I've ever taught or that you've ever heard, but don't miss this. It is profound. Because what this says is that God invites us to ask him questions. He invites us to do this. He desires for us to ask him questions through conversation, to have a relationship. He desires to hear our thoughts, our doubts, our concerns, and our questions. So ask him, because here's the deal. When you have a question for God, you can't keep it from him. It's not like you can think something so deep and you're like, well, I don't know if he could answer that. I shouldn't really ask him that question. Well, you already asked him it because you had it as a thought. And he's omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. And he has that. He already knows your thoughts. He already knows your questions. So ask him because he desires to hear your questions. There's a guy, a professor at an evangelical school, his name's Gary uh, Brahman, and one of the things he wrote about with Jesus to talk about questions, this idea of it, is this. But the one who seemed to love questions the most was Jesus. He commended his disciples and those with him for asking him about the meaning of his parables, even saying that the questioners had found the secret of the kingdom of God in Mark 4, 10 and 11. He got angry at the Pharisees when they stopped asking questions and were silent, Mark 3, 5. He often answered a question with a question to keep the question mode going. 
Mark chapter 2, John chapter 1. This is how it would work. In the Hebrew culture, the Hebrew rabbinical culture, the way that rabbis would teach people, this is how the education system works. They would say this. What is 8 times 2? Your answer would be? 16. It's, it's 16. Okay, can we just try? Okay. So, what is 8 times 2? That's how we answer it in America. In our day, that's how we, we've learned to regurgitate answers. It's called standardized testing. Okay? Back in the day, back in Jesus' time, what rabbis would do is they would say to their student, to their pupil, what is eight times two? But rather than answer 16, they would say, what is four times four? And then they would respond, what is 32 times two? And this mode of asking questions was something that was very built into the culture. They would respond by asking questions. So every time you see Jesus saying, you've heard before, but let me tell you this. Have you heard it this way? And then he'd say something with a point that was a question. It was because it was built into how they would teach. So he would keep this question mode going all the time through scripture. Jesus summarized his views of questions when he told his disciples specifically to ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For whoever asks receives. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Jesus could not have been more clear in sharing the priority of asking questions and seeking. So when you have questions, ask. Because God wants to answer your questions. Ask God questions and he'll give you answers. And as you do this, you can even become just like the woman because what you're going to see is as you start to ask questions and God starts to give you answers about any question in life, about your spouse one day, about how many kids you're going to have, about what you're going to do, about if he's real, about if he loves you, about who you are in him, about what your identity is, about where you're best, about where you're worst. You ask all these questions to God and he'll start giving you answers. And once he does it, you are not going to remain the same because the answers are going to do something to you. And the answers that the Samaritan woman received from Jesus did something to her. Asking questions to God is a good thing. So watch what happens when she does this. Let's go back into John chapter 4 and verse 28. The disciples rejoin Jesus, and then in verse 28, just one verse down, then leaving her water jar, the woman, the Samaritan woman, went back to the town in Samaria and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. He knew that I'm not married, and yet I've been sleeping around with five different guys. He knew that this was my life and this is where I am. And he offered me something else. And so she asks the biggest question of the entire world at this time. Could this be the Messiah? For 400 years, they've been waiting on this dude. Prophecies for thousands of years have been writing about him. And because she asked questions and God gave answers, she started to understand something. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town, everyone that she told this to, and made their way toward him. Now skip down to verse 39, right underneath where it says, Many Samaritans believe. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days, verse 41. And because of his words, many more became believers. See, so what happens is 
God starts to change you. And what you need to see first is that the Samaritan woman shows us something profound and incredible. What she actually was, if you want to put it into more proper term of her job, she was a prostitute. And she was probably known around town as someone that got around. So when the disciples came back and saw Jesus talking to this woman at the well, and they know they're in Samaria, and so it's a Samaritan woman, they figure out really quickly, this, like, we sh- this isn't good. Like, this is not good. And yet we see in the verses we skipped that they didn't stop him. They didn't go up and try to interject. Because the truth is, you never have to go and get clean before you come to God. That Samaritan woman didn't have to do anything before God answered her questions. Before Jesus sat there and told her who he was. You don't have to get clean before you come to God. You come to God and he makes you clean. And so you ask God your questions and he gives you your answers. And when he gives the answers, something happens to you. And this is the second thing I want you to grasp. Ask God questions and he'll give you faith. Ask God questions and he will give you faith. The woman didn't have faith before. She had no idea what he was talking about. And yet God showed up through Jesus. The woman heard the good news of Jesus and it changed her life. She asked questions and God gave her faith. This happened to me as well. Remember I told you that the main way that you make your, own, your faith become your own, no longer your parents, no longer the culture, no longer mine, no longer the churches, no longer your friends, your own is that you start asking questions. When I was 17 years old, I began to ask a question about my faith, about God almost 12 years ago. And the question was, one that I've alluded to before, if I lost everything and only had God, would I be okay? See, I started to read through the story of Job and asked myself this question that Job ultimately had to answer. If I lost everything and only had God, would I be okay? Now, the main way that this showed itself was every time that I got dumped, okay? Because I really wanted a wife. Like, it wasn't healthy at all. And so every time that something bad would happen in my life, I would ask myself that question. Hang on, okay, this isn't good. I just lost, lost something. If I lost everything but only had God, would I be okay? I asked this question to myself for seven years before I was able to understand an answer. From the time I was 17 at a summer camp in, in Daytona, Florida, So I was 24 years old, sitting here at this church in a a lesson with another pastor here. I started to understand, you know what? I would be. And I got to that place of being able to say, if I lost everything and only had God, I'd be okay. Because I sought it out. I dug deep. I let God pry into the deepest parts of who I am. Kill the things inside of me that were killing me. And show me who I am in him. I started to see that my portion is God, no one else. See, I wanted a wife more than I wanted God. And then he broke me of that. Because a wife can never become my love, my joy, and my peace. And now I have a wife, and she is not my love, my joy, and my peace. Only God is. He's the only person who can provide that for you. It's only through Jesus. My identity is not the fact that I'm Larson's husband. My identity is the fact that I am Jesus' son. That I'm saved. And so as I asked myself this question, it started to become my identity. My faith began to strengthen. I asked God questions, and he gave me faith. 
So fast forward to this past Sunday night. There, like as pastors, there are things that you're supposed to share that you're supposed to let like time happen so that it's not super fresh. But there's a story in my life that is super fresh that completely ties into this moment. Because God, 11 years later, continued to show me, you know what, Matt? If you lost everything and you only had me, you'd be okay. My wife and I are having a miscarriage. We have two kids, a two-and-a-half-year-old son named Bowen, an 11-month-old girl in three days named Charlotte. And we're pregnant with our third. We found out about a month ago that we were having a miscarriage. Uh, I've told no one this. Like, no one on, people on staff don't know. A few handful do. We found out we were having a miscarriage, and we were going to let the process happen, naturally. Um, so we were waiting with a lot of anxiety, a lot of questions, a lot of frustration, um, a lot of questions to God about why. Why is it you want to do this? Why, like, we want this child. Why, why can't this happen? So fast forward to Sunday. Um, my wife had continued to kind of feel bad as it's supposed to happen. And then she began to bleed um, more than I've ever seen a person bleed. And if this gets graphic, I'm sorry, but you need to understand the story of what happened. And it was something that was beyond her control, something beyond anything she'd ever experienced before. And the doctors told us that if the bleeding gets to the point where it's like, you know what, this isn't right, then you should go to the emergency room. Go and, and, and call, or call us at least. So my wife was scared. I walk in the bathroom, and there's, there's blood all over the floor. And it happened very fast. So we made the decision to get in the car. And my mom came over to watch our kids. She got there in like three minutes. It was incredible. And then we got in the car and we drove. And from the time we left the car or the time we left the house to the time we got about two and a half miles down the road, right past the fire station, she had already completely bled through all of her clothes. The hospital's 30 minutes away. So I turn around and we go to the fire station. And I run in the fire station and I say, my wife's bleeding. We're having a miscarriage. Help. And at that moment, I didn't know it was going to happen. It wasn't stopping. And my wife didn't know it was going to happen. It wasn't stopping. And the firemen may be an EMT, but they're not going to do anything to be able to stop it. And the hospital is 30 minutes away. I thought my wife was going to die five days ago. My wife thought she was going to die. We said, how long can this happen? How long can, I, can she bleed like this? And they said, not long. Which is really reassuring. I wasn't allowed to sit with her in the, in the ambulance. Uh, I had to sit up front, and she was by herself in the back with one of the firemen. And so I wasn't able to talk to her or have conversation with her or pray with her or do anything. I'm completely helpless. My wife might die. The love of my life, the mother of my children might die. And I remember as they put her in the ambulance, we're in the parking lot of this fire station, it's nine o'clock at night, and I just turned around and I'm trying my best to hold it together. And I just, I, I reminded myself, God, if I lost everything and only had you, I'd be okay. I'd be okay. If, if my wife dies tonight, I'll be okay. I'll be in utter ruin, but I'll be okay. 
Because you've given me the faith to understand that you are my love, my joy, and my peace. You're the only thing, God, that will never leave me. My wife might die tonight, but I'll be okay. My wife in the car, in the ambulance, said that she started to think about, all right, I'm going to die. And Matt's going to be a widower, and he's going to raise two kids by himself. And for 30 minutes, she kept thinking this, not knowing anything of what was actually going on. So we get to the hospital about 30 minutes later. She's still bleeding. They have Ivy hooked up, so it's helped. And they rush her into the ER. By the grace of God, uh, something happened to kind of stop the bleeding a little bit. And they were able to get in there, and they were able able to fix everything. And my wife is not recovering. And I don't deserve that kindness. She doesn't deserve that kindness. He's a good father, but here's the deal. He's a good father even if my wife died. My circumstances do not affect God's goodness. God's goodness affects all of my circumstances. In his kindness, he allowed my wife to live. I don't know how I could have ever gotten through those moments and not completely lost it and can stand here five days later knowing that my wife almost died. I thought she was going to. If I never started to ask the question to God, if I lost everything and only had you, would I be okay? That's a tough question to ask. And I'm, if, I'm, if I'm honest with a lot of you right now, I'd be willing to say that most of you would not be able to say yes. Because you've got to dig down deep to figure that out. And so they were able to work on my wife. They did a procedure and they were able to, to, to save her life um, and stop the bleeding. And as she's sitting on the bed, in the, in the ER, I'm sitting there next to her holding her hand and, and I'm looking at her and her blood pressure was like half of what it should be and it was, it was bad. She looked over at me and she said, why is God doing this? What is it that he wants to show us? And I can't tell you how proud I was of my wife in that moment. 30 minutes before she thought she was going to die. And she said, you know what? I was okay. I was. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't scared. Because she had asked questions to God for years before. And her asking questions to God gave her faith to understand that she's in God's hands, that he's fully sovereign, that nothing happens outside of his hands. That occurring didn't happen out here. It's still within his hands, and we can still trust him. So she asked me the question, why? Why do you think this happened? But when she did it, there was not an ounce of spite or anger or malice or frustration. It was complete surrender. It wasn't, God, why are you doing this? I have two little babies and I have a, I have a husband. I, like, why are you doing it? There was nothing freaking out. It was, all right, God, Why? See, my wife sat there in that ER and she led me in those moments and allowing me to see that she wasn't questioning God. She was asking God questions. She wasn't doubting God and who he is. She was trusting God and who he is. And I can't tell you how proud I am of her and how thankful I am that she's alive because I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to have a wife. Never promised that. Never deserve to have two wonderful children. Never promised that. 
It's all God's kindness. And yet if all of it went away, I'd still be okay because I asked questions. So the thing that I want to leave you with is to understand asking God questions is a good thing. You should be in the practice of asking him questions. Asking him the deepest questions of your soul. The things that confuse you, the things that confound you, the things that just absolutely blow your mind and you don't understand how they're possible. Ask God those questions. But the thing that you can't do for a long time and continue to, to exist well, continue to thrive, is you ask God questions, don't question God. The big difference in asking God questions and questioning God. Now, questioning God is not even a bad thing. It's called doubt. And next week, we're going to talk about how doubt is actually a good thing. That if you have doubt about what I'm talking about, about this Bible, about who Jesus is, about any of those things, if there's doubt that exists inside of you, it's okay. It's not surprising God that you have doubts. And I would actually argue that they're a good thing. But the thing that you have to live inside of, the, the principle you got to live with, is what my wife did. Ask God questions. Don't question God. And which one of those two things right now are you doing the most in your life? Are you asking God the tough questions? Are you asking him who you are? Are you asking him what your identity is? Are you asking him if he really is your love, your joy, and your peace? Are you asking him if you'd be okay if you lost everything and only had him? Are you asking him questions or are you questioning him? Are you saying why out of spite instead of surrender? Because if you ask God questions, he's going to answer. And if you ask God questions, he's going to give you faith. Faith to trust him and follow him and believe in him, even when everything looks like it's about to end. I just lived it out and I know it to be true. But which one are you doing? You asking him questions or are you questioning him? It's something to think about. Let me pray for you. God, I really am filled with gratitude, with thankfulness, with appreciation that you let me be here, that you let me do this, that you let me share that story, that you, that you are a sovereign God, that you are a good Father. God, I thank you that my circumstances in no way affect you and who you are and how much you love me. I can't do enough wrong to ever make you love me less. And I can't do enough right to ever make you love me more. And Father, you've instilled this faith inside of me because of the years of asking you questions, of, of being introspective, of, of going deep and saying, Father, pry into my heart, into my spirit. Grow me up and educate me because I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. I want to be able to, to step into the darkest seasons of my life and say, it is well with my soul because you are all that I need. And God, the moment you gave that faith to me because I started asking questions, I became so overly thankful for the things that you've given me. There's never an ounce of, of any sense of resentment or of taking for granted the things you've allowed me to have. Father, I thank you for my wife. She's alive. I thank you for the doctors that worked on her. I thank you for the firemen that drove her there. God, I thank you for her aunt that gave her reassurance in the moment of, of being just scared. 
thank you for the kids you allow me to have, you allow me to raise. As I get to raise adults, their names are Bowen and Charlotte. God, I thank you for the life of not only me and my family, but of every person in this room. I pray that we would understand and realize that we have an opportunity to come before you, that you you invite us to come before you. You beg of us, you desire for us to come into your presence and to say, God, what does this mean? Who am I? Who are you? Do you love me? Will you show me that you love me? What do you want me to do? God, the questions that are filled inside of our minds, regardless of the source of where they come from, you desire to turn them around for your glory. Whatever it is that happens, you're going to make happen for your glory. So God, I pray that we would be relentless in our questioning. We'd be fearless and bold and going deep into the things we're really confused about, we really wonder. God, I pray we'd have the wisdom to answer questions that we don't understand with a simple, I don't know. Would you allow us to have that humility? But ultimately, Father, I pray that all of the questioning we do would just drive us closer to you, that we would become the Samaritan woman. Because the truth is, we are all living in rags. And we are all just like her. Saying we love you and run to the things that we desire. Whatever pleasures we want. And yet every time you take us back, So may our questioning allow our faith to grow, allow us to see your love and allow us to live inside of your grace and your mercy. Father, be glorified over the next few moments because you paid everything for them. You allow us to worship you. So may we do that with everything that we have, with thankfulness, with praise, with gratitude because of who you are, not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, because of what you've done, because you paid it all. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.